0: Welcome to Never Again is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism, or maybe a better title will be It Seems It Starts to Happen Again. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and and I'm Evelyn Marcus. And I'm Phyllis Zimpler-Miller. This is day 24 of the war in Israel. Four hostages have been released. The Israel Defense Forces have started their ground invasion of Gaza, People around the globe protest mostly for a ceasefire and against Israel, and Jew hatred has intensified enormously. We have the privilege to have Michael Berenbaum back in our show for a new update about the war. Michael Berenbaum, PhD and rabbi, is the director of the Sigi Zering Institute for Exploring the Ethical and Religious Implications of the Holocaust, and a professor of Jewish Studies at the American Jewish University in Los Angeles. He is the author and editor of 18 books, and he was the executive editor of the new encyclopedia Judaica. Michael speaks daily with experts on the war in Israel, and this morning he spoke himself at Fox News. Welcome Michael, welcome back and thank you for coming on and uh, giving us an update. Um, We all follow the news, Um, what do you see as the most important developments of the last seven days?
1: Well I think the most important development obviously is on the ground and the development on the ground essentially as Israel has entered Gaza, it has not entered Gaza so much in massive uh, numbers with a full-fledged invasion It's gone in a series of um, different types of strikes, designed, I think, to probe the enemy and also designed to see um, and capture intelligence. The other um, elements that have been present now has been an increasingly um, anti-Israel sentiment being expressed by certain faculty on major campuses uh, most particularly Ivy League campuses. Uh, we've had an event at Cornell. We had an event at um, at Columbia University where in excess of 100 faculty have um, signed for an open debate on Hamas and Israel. Uh, we also had at Cornell death threats to Jewish uh, students and uh, that becomes significant. We also, I believe, though I I have no confirmation at this point, has that Israel had freed one female soldier hostage this morning? Uh, I just heard it en uh, Passant in the news, so it may or may not be accurate. But if so, that's optimistic uh, because it it says that they are getting somewhere in that. You also had a series of um, um, appearances by Israelis, um, Israel's uh, government. Uh, And the government at this point is uh, intriguing, because it's three, the security government is three people. It's the um, defense minister, the prime minister, and, um, and um, a person who joined Benny Gantz, who was a former uh, chief of the IDF, and also uh, defense minister, who has joined the government for this purposes, there are two other observers. But the intriguing thing is that um, Benjamin Netanyahu did not appear alone. He appeared with the full security cabinet, which tells us um, two things. It tells us a weakening of his own credibility vis-a-vis his population and the Israelis. And that is that after what happened on October 7th, the government is under, and one would have to say rightful, Uh, uh, disquiet from its own citizens and consequently he appeared uh, with the security cabinet uh, to uh, say we've reached another stage of the war and that's, um, that's important. American support is holding steady though we're experiencing two different things. One is a problem from the progressive left which has diminished a certain measure of support for Joe Biden, was held firm and steady. We've also um, um, seen uh, an attempt to isolate in in the House of Representatives the bill that the president set up, which includes aid to Israel, aid to Ukraine, aid to Taiwan and uh, border security funds. So that becomes important to see how the politics of it plays out. Uh, The other thing I think we have to notice at this point is that the United States is interested in opening a corridor for aid to come to Gaza because of the humanitarian issue. Um, We have to say two things, and this our audience should be clear about. Number one, Hamas is holding up the evacuation of American citizens from Gaza. Figuring that it needs the American citizens um, in a very real way as a negotiating uh, as a negotiating point with the American government, and Hamas is refusing to release its supply of um, of fuel uh, and asking for new fuel supplies to come into Gaza, and Israel is not permitting those fuel supplies. Gaza says the hospitals are running out of fuel, it's been saying that for 23 days, Uh, and Israel is saying uh, Hamas will take control of this fuel, use it to um, power their tunnels, to power their military operation. So we have an enormous dispute, though what is not of dispute is that the conditions in Gaza are difficult, that Hamas presumed that they would be difficult. And that was part of the reason why um, that was an anticipated result of the Hamas attack. And consequently, if they did not, if they had the primacy of the safety and security of the Palestinian population in Gaza as their principal concern, they would not have initiated the attack on October seventh. Uh, and consequently, one could predict exactly how Israel would respond to that, and it did. I so well, no,
2: I think yeah. it's so important. I think you need to say this again. I think that really, and I don't say left, right. I'm just talking about uninformed people who really don't understand that when Hamas, which is the government of Gaza, duly elected in 2006, 2007, Chose to do what they did. They knew how much the Palestinian people in Gaza would suffer. Willis,
1: I want to say, not only did they knew how much the Palestinian people in Gaza would suffer, but they banked on it that as part of their strategy. Their strategy is that they play the victim card, which they believe would give them some protection against a full-throated Israeli response. And um, one presumes uh, oh. they had to know, they had to know that Israel would respond to such an attack with a full-throated um, counter attack. And Israel is trying to do two things. The first is more easily achievable than the second. The first is to um, reestablish deterrence, which is to say if you mess with us, you're going to pay a very severe price. And the second is that Israel is trying to get rid of Hamas as a governing force and a military force in Gaza, which is going to be longer and harder to achieve. And I think that that one of the um, um, early mistakes of the Israeli government acting in anger and in fury was to promise what they cannot deliver, which is the eradication of every Hamas uh, fighter. Uh, But they want to certainly um, uh, destroy the capacity of Hamas to um, have a military capacity and to throw these obstacles. We also should say that there's an interesting cat-and-mouse game taking place in um, Lebanon on the northern border of Israel, where Hezbollah is doing enough to make sure it's noticed, <laughs> but not doing the full-on full um, attack that would get a full-on uh, attack of the Israeli um, military You also had um, uh, a tremendous probing of military attacks um, from Iranian-backed sources against Americans, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the administration has responded to that with um, introducing new resources into the region, introducing the Marine Evacuation Mm -hmm. Corps. Uh, which has already been in Lebanon, I believe, in 2006, 2007, to evacuate Americans from Lebanon. And consequently, uh, everybody's playing a little bit of chess. You make one move and somebody counters the move all the way through. So that's the situation that we find ourselves in. And this is um, uh, Monday morning. Uh, October uh, 30th, Uh, by the time this is seen, we may be a new situation, but all we can, all we can do, all we can do is to indicate where we are at this moment and presume that we're giving you enough of a background that you can understand the issues that are being raised and all that's involved.
0: Michael, um, uh, you said um Hamas calculated on Israel's um uh, uh, response um and it it uses um it 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 uses it, it I don't know if you said that but've I've heard it many times it uses it's uh it uses the camera on the it, it uses the humanitarian crisis caused by directly, as it, with the directly cause of Israel's response as propaganda also around the world, uh, not only to discourage uh, governments uh, abroad to, to, to support Israel, but also to unleash a, um, a kind of a global jihad against Jews, which is one of their goals. Um, and Iran wants to be the leader of the Islamic world what well, what's, what's let your
1: me, let me let me say they're trying to arouse dramatic antagonism against jews um i don't believe it will it it will reach the level of jihad because i think the governments will be responsive to attacks on their jewish population uh i think that they are trying to use the humanitarian crisis to delegitimate israel and also to get back to the uh, and remember Israel has the right to defend itself, and one has to say after October 7th, Israel has the obligation to defend its citizens. October, October 7th was a pogrom. Right. In every previous instance, it was a, a massive pogrom. In fact, if you think of it as a pogrom, it's largest pogrom in Jewish history. The number yeah, dead yeah. exceeds... Yeah the Kishinev program the number dead exceed kristallnacht the number dead uh, the number killed in the scope and scale the, in every previous program we held the government in uh, power responsible for that program for not protecting its civilian population and after the war is over the israelis are going to hold their government responsible for not protecting the civilian population but that has to wait for another day. And if when I speak to Israelis, um, they are enormously frustrated. But you can't switch governments in the middle. You can't have a political crisis of this magnitude in the middle. Even ardent supporters of the Israeli right, somebody like Professor Gil Troy, has said that uh, the prime minister should announce his reg- resignation at the end of the war, uh, now, so he can say that the, I am only doing things for the interest of my country and my in, personal interests. take no, have no um, uh, no no impact on my thinking because we now have to think in national terms as to how to conduct this war and not in personal terms. Uh, of saving face for politicians who have made significant mistakes. We also haven't touched on one other thing, which is that Israel has to be cautious that the um, situation in the West Bank does not deteriorate. And that's a combination of two things. Number one, that the settlers don't provoke the um, Arabs and the Palestinians Mm -hmm. on the West Bank and also the Palestinians don't decide to join in. And remember, Hamas is also on the West Bank. Join in and um, and intensify the scale, the scope, the magnitude, and um, also the location of all of these issues. Uh, Syria has joined in in a peripheral manner. Uh, and both the United States and Israel has attacked Syria when it has joined in. Uh, The United States did not attack Syria on behalf, and let's stress this. I want to repeat this. The United States did not attack Syria on behalf of Israel. The United States attacked Syria because American troops were targeted by Iranian proxies. Let me say that one more time.
2: I agree. Say Say it one more time.
1: America attacked Syria because American troops were attacked by Iranian proxies. And American troops have the right to defend themselves. And the president of the United States has an obligation to defend American troops on the front lines. So this is an enormously complicated situation, but it's one we have to understand and one we have to deeply appreciate.
0: Um, do Do you see or have you heard ideas for um, um, finishing Hamas? In Gaza as much as possible, and at the same time, ending the humanitarian crisis in Gaza.
1: Well, the claim of Hamas is you can end the humanitarian, uh, let's go, let, let me answer that indirectly first. The appeal of many sides is we want a ceasefire. And the problem with a ceasefire is a ceasefire means a Hamas victory. They have slaughtered 1,400 Israelis and gotten away without any consequences, and they live to fight another day. That ends the notion of Israeli deterrence, and that's an unacceptable outcome, not only to the government of Israel, but to virtually the entire population of Israel, which feels that deterrence must be reinstated. So that's number one. Hamas has asked for a 48 72 hour uh ceasefire so that uh, the humanitarian crisis can be addressed uh the problem with that is that's a 42 or 48 or 72 hour crisis for Hamas to reassemble and regather its forces without an attack that works to the advantage of Hamas and Hamas is holding up the entrance of supplies which are coming in from Egypt and coming in via Hamas into uh, Gaza. And consequently, we have to see that as a deliberate um, attempt to exacerbate the humanitarian crisis. Any feeling human being understands that there is a humanitarian crisis, Any feeling human being understands that in a rational world where the representatives of the people had concern for those people, the humanitarian crisis could not be solved, but it surely could be alleviated. But that's not the the operative assumption of the way in which
2: Hamas works. I, I would just like to remind people who've ever seen the movie Black Hawk Down. That it was such a clear example of humanitarian supplies coming into, I think it was Somalia, I might get the country wrong, and right. how the rebels grabbed all those supplies and instead of giving it to the people, used it for their own war. And every time we talk about this subject, I see those visuals and it breaks my heart. because. But, but let's, let's go
1: back even more. Why did Hamas attack at this moment in time? The attack was an attack against the normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And if that is and and the the um, the Arab street, the general population is now deeply anti-Israel. if that is held up and that possibility is destroyed, then Hamas in one sense has achieved one of its major goals from the attack. And every time we've come closer to peace, the radicals, and I'm not only saying the Arab radicals, I'm also saying the uh, Israeli and Jewish radicals have tried to sabotage the peace process, and they've succeeded. They sabotaged it, uh, a right-wing religious nationalist sabotaged it by murdering Yitzhak Rabin. Who had the credibility to move forward. Who knows what might have happened if Rabin uh, did not uh, was not assassinated. And remember, we could now be in the 23rd year of a Palestinian state. 23rd year of a Palestinian state. If Yasser Arafat had agreed to sign a deal in which he got back 95% of the land and an exchange of land so that the Arabs would have, the Palestinians would have been whole with regard to the land. And instead, he thought he could approve his negotiating posture by uh, approving of Intifada II. The end result was the end of that peace process. Bill Clinton left office. Uh, Ehud Bar- Barak um, uh, lost um, uh, office and the yes. radicals um, and the radicals um, came in uh, uh, came into greater control
0: so if I if I hear you well you're saying that you don't see possibilities to finish Hamas in Gaza as much as possible and at the same time create humanitarian relief for the population that is not fighting with Hamas. Evelyn,
1: you said I don't see possibilities of defeating Hamas as much as possible. I see possibilities of defeating Hamas as much as possible. Um, Only a um, Hamas, if it changes its stripe, (laughs) will in one sense allow a full-throated relief of the humanitarian crisis. Let's be candid. It is absolutely in Israel's interest to alleviate the humanitarian crisis. It is not in Hamas's interest to alleviate the humanitarian crisis, because that means that Israel can go on and achieve its goal without all of the images that shape public opinion uh, in the Western world and in the rest of the world. And we have to be worried about, ironically, the attack that took place in Russia at an airport in which they were hunting for Jews coming off an El Al plane. This is uh, deliberate. Uh, one wonders um, how that could happen in Russia. And um, uh, again, uh, one has to look at this. So uh, let's repeat basics. It is in Israel's interest to solve the humanitarian crisis. It is not in Hamas's interest. If the humanitarian crisis is not solved, by the way, and it's certainly in Israel's interest to make sure that fuel is not delivered to Hamas because Hamas can use that fuel to, again, deal with generators, deal with underground tunnels and all of that And um, it is painful to see the humanitarian crisis, but it's clear who is ironically benefiting from the humanitarian crisis, which is Hamas and not the Palestinian people.
2: Do you think that Israel has done a good job of getting this information across in social media?
1: Well, you know, I have taken not to looking at social media. And the reason I've taken to not to looking at social media is because I would spend 99% of my time responding to social media. I leave that to a younger generation. I still write for something that's an ancient form of <laughs> publication called a newspaper. And I still, and I use my time to use um, all of these broadcasts and all of these podcasts uh, and the like. But I'm the last one to judge social media. And you know what? I can live a a full and complete life and even have some influence uh, on the world and on the people uh, around me without taking to social media. And I think social media is a a, it's a, let, let's go back. The internet now is a tool that is a megaphone for every position. And social media means that you can target and uh, attack in all sorts of ways. And people will do an awful lot on social media that they would not do in person. I'll tell you a uh, uh, a historical um experience i had i ran a very large organization during the first year or two of email <laughs> first year of email i spent about 50 percent of my time putting out the fires that were established because people said things in email they would have never said in person they would have never said in writing and because they did not yet know how to delete all <laughs> of the previous communications so social media i understand is the means of communication of my children but i'm enough of an ancient artifact that uh, it's not for me at the certainly not at this moment in time
0: let's uh, look at the...
1: I'll leave that i'll leave that to you guys you guys are more <laughs> savvy i know
0: um i i share a lot of your uh... Uh, of your feelings and experiences uh, about social media, so um, let's look for a moment at the Jewish community in America. Um, Phyllis, you have you had specific questions about that?
2: Question is that American Jews have felt rather safe compared to the Jewish communities outside of Israel throughout the world. Do you think that they're now starting to feel really unsafe, or do they still feel safe in America? Given everything
0: that is happening on campus against Jews, you mean? Jews
1: certainly feel less safe than they did before October 7th. Massive empirical information. Uh, We also have to say that Jews are spending an awful lot of money protecting their physical security. But let's look at some good sides of it. The government of the United States is committed to protecting the Jewish community and protecting all religious communities and all ethnic communities in the United States. And we've seen, for example, um, you know, police cars outside of synagogues, police cars outside of of meetings. We've seen uh, the police come in to help the Jews in some difficult campus situations. Now, the fact that the situation is difficult is bad. The fact that the police are there to protect and they're not ignoring the Jewish community is um is significant. We've seen a failure of some leadership to condemn this. Um my um we have a um my grandniece is a doctoral student at Cornell. There apparently, and um, I get this secondhand because only my wife spoke to our grandniece today, there apparently were death threats against Jews and uh, against Israelis on Cornell's campus. And Cornell has a massive partnership um, in New York with uh, the Technion, or the Weizmann Institute, I don't remember, which in a billion-dollar investment on Roosevelt Island for great science center. Now the question becomes um, death threats against Jews on a Cornell campus, if indeed that's what's happening, should lead to what? Should lead to expulsion. It also should lead to charges. So the question of safety, in fact, is gonna depend on the response of the legal authorities and the active response of legal authorities. When uh, we see Los Angeles policemen uh, at uh, synagogue or even out out here, I'm at American Jewish University. We feel better about it. And the other part of it is apparently, and I was in in Poland, so I didn't understand it. Uh, I met with uh, leaders of two schools who spoke about the attendance on the day of the, um, Intifada against Jews, which was a week ago, Friday. And they had a 60% decline in enrollment, in attendance. Mm -hmm. Parents decided to keep their kids home. Now, we're not asking parents to put their kids on the front line, but we have to be very careful that we don't allow the enemy the victory of making it, number one, making kids afraid to be Jewish. And number two, destroying Jewish institutions with the threat of violence and not allowing Jews to gather together, to pray together, to be together uh, with the threat of violence. I want Jews to have a thick skin at this point, (laughs) and I want a certain measure of defiance in a very basic way, and um, we have to be careful about that. I also uh, had a very interesting experience the night, we had a demonstration in Los Angeles the night after Simchat Torah on October, I guess it was October 9th, uh, or, October,
2: October
1: 8th or October 9th. And uh, in, ex, in uh, Jews from all over Los Angeles gathered at uh, one of the congregations, they filled it to standing room, standing room only and on the way back, um, we saw a, a person we know well. And I asked him um uh in a cordial way, non-accusatory way, where's your wife? She would always be here. And he said something that scared me to my um um to my core. He said, My daughter begged us mm-hmm. that both of us should not come because she didn't want to be an orphan. Now, it should not be the case that Jews are afraid to gather with other Jews because of the fear of violence. And by the way, if Jews are if Jews have to gather with other Jews because of the fear of, of violence, we have to be tough enough to respond to that. And the authorities in question have to protect us and our right to gather. And thus they have. By the way, there was significant Los Angeles police presence at the rally. There was no violence whatsoever, and it was a, a, a deeply and profoundly moving experience.
2: Michael, we're coming to the end of this special update, unless Evelyn has a pressing question, but I want to repeat something I heard you say a week or two ago. As many people know here, Michael's a renowned Holocaust scholar, and he said, This is not 1939, because in 1939, the Jews were powerless. And in 2023, the Jews have power. And I think that's such an important thing that we need to remember. Evelyn, do you have something that you want to say? Well, I would like
0: to add something to that. Uh, Jews in Europe are extremely nervous right now. They have no power at all. They're totally outnumbered by Muslims who react in in great amounts so hateful so genocidal in their in their uh, verbal expressions and sometimes physical expressions uh, and threats so um also we had we have in europe we we already live with military police in front of our synagogues for a decade or more and it it doesn't make us feel safe at all because we are attacked from from all kinds of sites where the military police cannot be. Um, I hope there will be consequences for the institutions that allow this to happen to Jewish students. I don't I haven't heard yet where those consequences will come from, except for donors who take personal initiatives, but I haven't heard the authorities. Uh, come with a policy. I w- um. Do you know where where Deborah Lipstadt is is speaking out? I, I haven't heard much of her yet.
1: Well, Deborah Lipstadt is the U.S. ambassador on anti-Semitism, uh, and her role has most recent uh, her role, as it's described, is a State Department role, which means she deals with international um, anti-Semitism less uh, local. She certainly and um, I've known Deborah since we were um, uh, young, young uh, people. Uh, The irony is uh, you can make many accusations against Deborah Lipstadt. I happen to be a fan. The one accusation you can't make uh, against Deborah Lipstadt is that she doesn't speak out. Uh, Uh, Do
2: you
0: know where in Europe uh, she's speaking out? uh,
1: She speaks out dramatically. The other thing that we have to see is that the second gentleman,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: the um, husband of the vice president, has been leading the administration efforts on anti-Semitism, and he has spoken out again and again and again. Look, I was at a conference on anti-Semitism sponsored by Variety magazine, uh, which drew the Hollywood elite. And person after person after person, And these are the great story makers of America, the great storytellers of America, person after person after person, Jew and non-Jew alike were speaking out on this. And this is a moment in which people of goodwill must speak out, must express their solidarity, and we cannot allow the situation to deteriorate to the one uh, that we've experienced in Europe. And the other thing is uh, I don't want Jews to be driven by fear. I want Jews to be driven by values, by commitment, by depth. And the moment our primary experience is fear is the moment our enemies triumph. And that we cannot allow.
2: I think that's an excellent place to end this update. We thank you. We know we probably have other places to appear today, so we particularly thank you for coming on our show. We thank our listeners. For anyone who wants to know more about Evelyn or myself or our activities, you can go to NeverAgainIsNowPodcast.com. And please, as Michael has just said, speak up whenever you can without putting yourself in physical harm against anti-Semitism and all hate.